The reading before the lesson this evening is going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right he may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear the God, honor the king. Thanks, Craig. It's dark out, guys. Don't be tempted. I hope you enjoyed the beautiful sunset again. It's been pretty marvelous uh, how many nice sunrises and sunsets we've had, I think, this, this summer and fall, especially this fall. But uh, it's hard to get used to this for a little while, isn't it? And uh, yet here we are. Um, of, all, you know, of all the times where the slides don't show up as much as we like as all the sun going in, we got dark the first night and I don't have slides for you, so whatever. I, I, am, uh, I, I am charged with the daunting task of trying to convince you yet further to do one of the most difficult things our God has asked us to do, and that is to submit. Just to submit. To what? That's it. To be submissive. This is, this is a great challenge for us. It, it kind of goes against the grain of, of the way we're raised, even in Christian homes, at, at least our culture ingrains in us that we have to take charge of our own lives, that we need to be independent, that we need to not let people step on us. And the answer to all that is, is to overcome with greater power. And there's a sense in which that's true. And we're not going to chase into the whole thing tonight. We can't. There's a sense in which that's true, but I, I want to ask you from the onset, since I've told you the, the point of the lesson already, I want to ask you to give God a chance once again to speak about this, because this is His idea. It's surely not my idea, any more than it, it is your idea. I got uh, Anthony and I just switched today, really, just to mix it up. It's just been a while since he's preached in the morning, and and uh, I wanted people to uh, be able to hear him, so I said, take a Sunday morning sometime, and, um, and I'll take some Sunday nights. The, the only trouble with that is we get out of rhythm a little bit. I mean, we have to study a completely new set of material, really, uh, from what we've been focusing on individually. But it's been a great benefit to me, and I'll tell you what's happened again, is since we've been reading through the Bible in a year and we're looking at things through the Old Testament, I came back to First Peter and just went, Wow. Wow, again, so many things jumped out at me because of the foundation that's been laid or relayed for me again. Maybe just it's been laid deeper this time for me as well. First Peter made so much more sense to me. God isn't asking us to submit our belief system. Uh, he's requiring not that we that we lessen our passion for life or that we uh, somehow um, 
yield all power, what he's asking is that we yield our human power and put our confidence in him to reign supreme in the lives of men. From a, a national level, right down to a very, very personal level and in, and in our relationships with people, he's asking us to be submissive. He's asking us to let go of our iron will. He's asking us to let go of our defensive mechanisms to react and respond. He's asking us that our quest to be in control and in power for our own sake and our own cause be replaced with His cause, His motives, and His definitions of what real power is. What real power is. And we can talk about this in light of servanthood, we can talk about it in light of love. These are all related. They're all related. But there's something about Peter's letter that's so powerful that he convinced me again. He convinced me again, as I need convinced over again. And, and I hope he'll convince you again why we need to be okay with being submissive people. Submissive people. And in order to fully understand tonight's message, we need to understand the context of the letter. And so I have to go back a little bit into what Anthony's already preached and point out a few things. And then the first couple verses that were read tonight, which is my portion, Anthony gave me 25 verses to cover this. Wasn't that nice of him? The first couple verses, though, of the section are like, you know, for you golfers, it's like setting up the tee and putting the ball on it because the rest of the book's going to be the drive, you know. So there's a couple verses, I'll point them out to you when we get there, but clear back in the beginning, Peter starts out by talking to those who have been exiled from their homeland. These Jews, Peter a Jew is writing to them, they've lost their father's inheritance in the land about 600 years earlier, a little more than. They've lost the inheritance, okay? They have felt since forsaken in the places where they are. They have crucified their brother who came to be known as Christ and called them his brethren. Their brother, a Jewish brother, and their brother in the inheritance of the Father, they crucified Him, the only unique Son of their Heavenly Father. And they feel defeated. They feel subjugated by the, by the Roman Empire. That's an iron-fisted rule. And they feel that if they don't do anything, that they don't have any hope. And if they do something about it, like some of the uprisings that took place during the intertestamental years, which... John Collier will spend some time teaching us about in December, that they get quashed in their place, that that iron fist comes down on the Jews, so that they don't feel like they can do anything. And what God ends up doing is saying, look, I don't need you now to come back to Jerusalem. The kingdom will come to you. Yes, He does say this. They lament with 
Jeremiah and say, our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. We've become orphans. And Peter says, God has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. So he meets this disparaging attitude, even among those who are believers in Christ now, he meets this with, you have been begotten again. You've been adopted back by God. You have a hope that's living. You have an inheritance. It cannot be corrupted. This one, this one cannot be corrupted by men. In other words, your forefathers can't screw, one, uh, screw this one up. Excuse me, that, I don't like to use that phrase. They can't mess this one up for you. Only you can if you reject it. But there aren't any outside influences that can come in and mess this up for you. It's incorruptible if you take hold of it, and it's reserved for you in heaven. So you don't have to move back to the homeland or reestablish power, nationality, and all these things to take part in this relationship with God. Now there's a new king who's ushered in a new covenant. He brings new hope through new promises. And the material kingdom of Israel is no longer to be the object of their desire. And you could see it in the, in the language and in the dialogue of the apostles. Jesus' closest followers, His most loyal followers, right up to the point of His crucifixion, said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? When, when all this happens and you're talking about coming back from the dead, are you then going to restore the kingdom? And He says, it's, it's not for you to know the times and places of this. You just wait in Jerusalem, guys. You'll get it. You'll get it when the Holy Spirit comes from on high and empowers you to speak the message. You'll start going, oh, that kingdom, the Daniel 2.44 kingdom. Oh, the kingdom you said was a spiritual kingdom. You'll get it. See, they struggled with this. So God said through Peter here, after the resurrection of the dead, of the dead Christ, He said, we're going to bring the kingdom to you. Listen. You've been born again through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. By His promises you stand. You are coming to Him. Now that was chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. I'll give you some of these verses. In chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, He says, You're coming to Him as to a, as a, as to a living stone, and you also as living stones are being built a spiritual house. So the temple actually you're a participant in the building of it right where you are. Wherever you are in, uh, among the nations, the, the, the temple building is going to take place with you. All right. Now listen to this in, in verses 4 and 5 of the second chapter. You're a holy priesthood. You don't need to be in Jerusalem, in the temple of the Lord, in Jerusalem that's being destroyed that Jesus spoke about being destroyed. You are a priest under this new covenant. You don't need to go anywhere. You're going to be built as a temple. You're going to become a priest. And you don't need to go home. You see how he's lifting up their hopes? Now we're, we're just about to where we're going to put the tea, all right, in the turf here. He says, you're a chosen generation. 
a royal priesthood, verses 9 and 10 of the second chapter, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness, that is, hopelessness, into His marvelous light, who were once not a people. You were scattered abroad, remember? See how we're calling all these Old Testament things? This is what I mean. I'm like, wow, okay, I'm fresh on Old Testament now. We're going through this time of exile and return. And here's Peter speaking to these people going, look, centuries later, they still feel like just we'll never be again. We'll never have what we lost. Here we are living out amongst the, the, the world of the Gentiles and the places where we are. There's no hope for us. And Peter's just going through and going, look, it's better. You had hope, you lost it, now you got a living hope. You had a covenant, it changed hands. This is a better covenant. You had promises of a land and a place to dwell. If you would only obey God, you would stay there, you lost it. Now He's coming to you to build in you. I mean, this is powerful. This is If you're reading this and you're a Jew who just feels like, I've accepted Christ, but this just we don't have our own nation. You're being built up spiritually and, and uh, literally here as you read what Peter says. You were not a people. Yes, you lost that, but now you're the people of God. You had not obtained mercy. And boy, that's right where we are in our readings where God said, My eye will not spare, neither will I show pity. This is going to be an utter destruction of this city. He's talking about that right here. You had not obtained mercy, but now you've obtained mercy. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Now we come to this T, if you will. No one is going to take this hope away, not the Jews, not the Romans, not even Satan, but you have to go along with God's program. And He is proposing a new strategy. Let's call it a renewed strategy. He's re-emphasizing a new strategy. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, is speaking here about how to establish relationships from God to your fellow man in verses 11 and 12. Listen to this. You, you think you might know what worldly lusts are off the cuff, but after reading this again, my idea of what I thought the worldly lusts were was not what Peter was talking about here. So listen to how he brings this up. Beloved, chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims in this life, right? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. That, that's a key. That's a pivotal phrase right there, and I'll show you how. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Whoa, how's that going to happen, Peter? And how are we going to abstain from worldly lusts? I mean, are you talking about, uh, are you talking about our, our, our raging hormones? Are, are you talking about our desire for power? Or are you talking about um, our desire to retake? A lot of things are involved with that. So what are the fleshly lusts? You have to abstain from fleshly lusts. I beg you to abstain. Now that has to do with all of these promises that he's just built them up again. And he says, you got to abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, let's take a look at chapter 2, beginning at about verse 13. 
with those first two words. You see those? In the New King James Version, it is, therefore, submit. Now we're just going to change the focus. I've, re- I've established what God sees in you, what He's doing in you. You have to come alongside of Him now and disciple Christ and abstain from fleshly lusts. Therefore, here's what this means. You have to submit. All right. Submit what? Submit yourselves, first of all, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. This is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, as true servants of God. In other words, not taking advantage of it, of opportunities that you may have uh, in deceit and trickery for ulterior motives, but as true bondservants of God, submit yourselves. He says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, I don't feel like I need to give this a lot of treatment because Brother Gant did such a tremendous job last Sunday evening right here talking about what this means, uh, our relationship with the governing authorities. Hopefully you were here for that, and he did an excellent treatment on that. So I don't feel like I need to go into that too far. However, let's, let's point out a few things. Every Christian is to submit not just to the laws, Now listen to this. Submit your desire to be in power. That's different. This is is more he's asking for than just obey the traffic laws, don't kill anybody, you know, and don't uh, cause, um, you know, disorder in your neighborhood and, and disturbance of the peace. He's saying you need to submit your desire to take control of how things are done all the time. To to take control of it. Yes, Tuesday we have the opportunity to vote. And again, I say, uh, Brother Rick did an excellent job explaining to us how we participate in our democracy. And yet, Peter is saying here, you have to trust God. You can't force your power upon other people to try to get your views across. So submit yourself to the governing authorities, and he says there at the end of that section, honor the king. We'd say honor the presidency or or, uh, the office of it. Offer those uh, who are running our nation. Okay, Honor them so long as they are uh, uh, in harmony with the will of God. So the, so the desire to, in an ungodly manner, put ourselves in control. That's the key, I think. Submit that. He says to love the brethren. So we cannot enforce our authority over our brothers and sisters. We're to love our brethren. And Jesus said, did He not, that this was how the world would know that we're disciples if we love one another. 
Don't stoop to the level of those around you. Honor all people. And stop planning retaliation. Stop complaining, as Paul wrote in the Philippian letter. Stop blaming. Stop plotting. Submit. Let God have some control. <laughs> Let God. In other words, if you in, in your mind think, we, we've got to take control of how these things are done. Peter's saying, have some faith in God. You do your part. Now, here's what you do. In verse 12, you do good. So that those who observe your goodness, though they think you're part of the problem as Christians, those who observe your goodness will be converted by your conduct. So once again, it's kind of like the slavery issue we've talked about. Why didn't God just come out in the New Testament and say, no slavery, and, and, and force this upon us? Because that has to come through the decision and choice of men from their own hearts to do so. That has to come from within man. And so when the gospel goes into uh, the hearts and minds of men and permeates a, a uh, government, they will see the flaw of it. And ultimately it will overcome. He's saying in the same way, in the same way, this is how you need to be interacting in society. So I have the power of one vote. I can go cast that vote Tuesday. I'm going to go cast vote Tuesday. I have the power of one vote, but can I do anything else to bring about God's will in my community? He's saying, yes, you need to focus on doing good so that people that think that you or your Christ are the problem are convinced, even converted, to understanding that you're not only the problem, you're not the problem, you're the solution to the problem. And so what can I do besides complain about how things are? I can put my energies into doing good to enable and to enact change in my community in the name of Christ. He's saying you focus on that. You act like Christ and let God be supreme. He will take care of things. He is the one that raises up governments and puts down governments. You do your part. Have faith in God. Okay. I spent a while on that. Let's go to the next one. Verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, for this is commendable. If, if because of conscience toward God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, what, what credit is it if when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who when He was reviled, did not revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten, but committed Himself to Him who judges righteously, who, bore him, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree. And I'll stop there. Servants. We don't, you know, this could be a slave relationship. This could be a servant relationship. We could even use the principle here to uh, apply a, um, an employee-employer relationship. The principle still applies. Submit to not only those who are good and gentle, 
but to those who are harsh. Now, we have the freedom to change work relations if we want to, if we need to do that. We have the freedom to do that, unlike, I think, the, the, the people here in this direct, directly uh, involved in this situation as bond servants to masters. However, the attitude still needs to be the same. The attitude still needs to be to endure the injustices in such a way that you convey that you have an expectation that there is a God who will, in justice, take care of you. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians, who said, and he said that by your endurance in trials, you set an example to those who watch you. For, uh, 2 Thessalonians, the first six verses. By your endurance, you set an example. Okay? So when people see you not responding with retaliation, with hatred, with conniving, with complaining, we again, we have the wherewithal to change many of our circumstances, but when they see that, they understand something differently about you than most other people who don't take things patiently. And he said, you will show that there is a God that you trust in and that you fear and that He will take care of you through all of these things. He'll vindicate you, if you will. A third group begins in chapter 3, verse 1. Do you see it there? Wives. Wives, listen to this, likewise. Okay, so I've talked about submitting to the governing authorities. Peter says, I've talked about uh, submitting uh, servants to masters. Wives, likewise. Woo, like that? Just be patient. Remember, we started out with all of you be submissive. We're going to finish with all of you be submissive. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, that is the fear of God. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God and evidently very precious in the sight of a husband too, very powerful to change the manner in which he may deal with a wife. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. A few statements about this. This is a request, a requirement, if, if I may, for wives to submit the desire to rule over their husbands in insubordination. The desire to rule over their husbands in insubordination. Submit that will to rule in your relationship to God, like you do Christ. Submit that. And this, as difficult as it is for some in our culture and our society to grasp, is actually the triumph of Christianity in the lives of women all over the world. And here's how. Some religions fear the insubordination of women and so subjugate them to the home 
without educations, taking away any empowering opportunities or social standing. But Christian women submit to their husbands as they do to Christ, voluntarily, purposefully, respectfully, and in turn are to receive respect and maintain honor and dignity. Other religions treat women as property, and the men may do with them as they please. They may have, in many cases, harems, and deny a woman the God-given gift of intimacy and covenant with one man who loves her and her alone, and other such things. They're denied uh, that one-to-one intimacy, but not so in Christ. Having no religion gives man permission to objectify women for his own pleasure and abuse. If an unbelieving man chooses not to exercise his base desires or to exercise uh, dominance over a woman through his physical stature or some other way or maybe mental abuse, If he desires not to do that and instead honors his wife, if he's an unbeliever and he honors his wife, he does so in subjection to the will of God. So the reason that can happen is because someone who doesn't believe in God still is in harmony with God's will how to honor his wife. And that we see that uh, in culture and in all cultures uh, pretty much. Freedom from religion is freedom from restraint. And I do not believe that women would want to live in a society where men are freed from restraint. We can see examples of what happens around the world and even in our own culture when there's no restraint, no fear of God, no instruction on how special woman is. But in Christ... There's freedom and there's protection for women. In Christ, Christ, there there a woman willingly submits to her husband as to Christ, which frees her from a burden of inferiority. Jesus has already elevated the woman to inherit as a son from her father an inheritance incorruptible. He's already valued her in such a way that he said, men, if you don't treat your wife like this, which we'll see in a second, there are consequences for it. Because I've created male and female in my image. And I've given you together dominion over the earth. I haven't given man dominion over woman. I've given co-regency to both of you to rule over the earth. I've elevated her. Now you're not to take her and view her as less or degrade her below man, but there is a leadership dynamic here to where she submits to him as he's called to lead as Christ would lead. So it's a willing submission and she's to be honored at the gates as the proverbial uh, statement goes in chapter 31 there. Even to an unbelieving husband, once she's free from the burden of having to rule or to lead and having laid down at the feet of Christ the battle plan to conquer her husband, 
the Christian woman is now free to, to prosper spiritually, intellectually, socially. And a man who's not a believer sees this freedom being exercised in a woman to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to become beautiful, to become strong in spirit. And he's attracted to that. The unbeliever, Peter says, will be attracted to that. He'll respect and honor his wife. And how many men among us in our congregation have been brought to Christ by their wives? I know there are a bunch of them here and here even tonight because of the godly conduct. And it's powerful. And so he says, wives, you submit as you would to Christ. And you'll be free, actually, to speak, to think, to contribute, to prosper. Well, the men only get one verse, but it's a doozy. The husbands, verse 7, chapter 3, see the next word? Likewise. That's really, that's really big. Likewise, in this submission of your power. I've asked it of all of you in relation to the governing authorities, and I specifically have asked you servants to submit your desire to, to, to rule over or to reverse the slate on your masters. I've asked the wives not to try to domineer over their husbands, to let them have the, the lead, the uh, uh, leadership of the, the home. Husbands, likewise. Likewise, Dwell with them with understanding. What do they need to understand? I think chapter 2, verse 17 needs to be recalled. Honor all people. You honor your wife. He says, honor, giving honor to the wife. He said, honor all people there. Love the brotherhood. If she is a believer, she's your sister in Christ. And you submit to one another and serve one another in that way. And... To fear God, he said in chapter 2, verse 17. And here he says, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. Because God will turn away from you, turn His face away from your sinful behavior of how you're treating your wife if you don't submit your will to have power over your woman. He won't listen to your requests until you first meet this requirement. It's powerful. That's why I said it's one verse, but it's a doozy. It's a doozy. You need to see her as an heir together of the grace of life. You're going to heaven together. And so dominion shared. The relationship is uh, fostered between the two, giving of each other 100% to each other. And a wife will enjoy the leadership of a husband who respects her and honors her so, will she not? And a husband will enjoy the beauty of his wife as she submits. Now, there are two other places that are not in the text that uh, I'm covering tonight that I want to point out, and I'll leave um, comments for later times for those, and that is elders in chapter 5, shepherds submitting to the needs of the flock, not ruling by compulsion to gain power, but he says, actually submit to the needs of your sheep. Okay, and we had a great lesson on that today. And you young people, he says, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. Submit yourselves to them. No one has the right 
to have authority in the church for sure, really in any place, until they've demonstrated the ability to first follow authority. That's how we have leaders in the church. They've demonstrated that they are followers first. And so there's some intercessory remarks, uh, such as in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. All are under the law of submission. Chapter 3, verses 10 through 22. God will vindicate you. You do not have to try to overthrow, overpower, set yourself above everyone. God will vindicate all wrongdoing. And He will make things right for you. And finally, he says, he'll judge the guilty. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But you, at the end of the book, conduct yourselves in sobriety, in love, in ministry, and in the glory of God. All of this can be done. It can be done. And it can be done because of chapter 1, in verses 8 through 16, where he says, that you may receive the end of your faith and the glories that will follow the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven. How can I mess this thing up if I will not submit myself to God by submitting myself to man? When we submit ourselves to man, we demonstrate our love for God. We demonstrate our faith in God. And so this is such a, a powerful point that Peter is making. And I want to persuade you tonight to relook at your relationships, all of them, all of us, every relationship, and ask ourselves, am I trying to gain the upper hand over my wife, over my husband, over my children, over my employer, over my brethren? Am I, am I trying always to give myself authority? God says, submit yourself and let me reign. And you watch. You watch the influence that you'll have on people around you when you start acting in accordance with a submissive heart. You don't become weaker. God hasn't asked us to become greater. He's, he's asked us to have a greater influence, and we do that by living lives like Christ lived and look at the influence He had. And you'd say, well, what, what great stature or position did he hold? And yet, look at the influence. That's what he's asking of us. So, maybe you're convicted like, like I have been from this study. I hope so. That's the aim of Peter's message in 1 Peter. I want to call you to submit to God in totality. And the way that we begin that walk is by repenting turning away from our own rule and turning ourselves over to God and His rule by being completely immersed in death through the, the water of baptism as a grave to say, I, I no longer reign and rule in my life. I will let Jesus Christ be the ruler of my life now. I'm going to come under Him and die with Him so that I might live with Him who raised from the dead. And He'll raise you up from the dead. Let's stand and sing this song, if anyone has a need.